You're listening to Haunting History Podcast, the podcast that reaches back into the past to the stories that still haunt us today. Tales of true crime, mysteries, and sometimes even the macabre. Join us as we travel back in time to the people and the lives behind the headlines. Listen as we research the stories that are still haunting those left behind, shining a new light on dark and cold cases. As the saying goes, someone out there knows something. Are you that someone? Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. In today's episode, you will hear the final thoughts regarding Carrie's case. Although our series is over, the search for Carrie's killer is far from over. In 1980, there were 150,000 people reported missing in America. And statistically, more than 99% of children who go missing come home alive. Half of the missing juvenile cases reported each year are runaways. Only half of those. Approximately 100 are kidnappings by strangers. Of these, most of the victims are between the age of 12 and 17. 80% are white and 90% of the kidnappers are men. In more than half the cases, the victims are sexually assaulted. The likelihood of finding an abducted child has increased since 1980 due to technological advances in the way searches are conducted and the knowledge that acting quickly saves lives. As I said before, 76.2% of the abducted children who were murdered died within the first three hours of their disappearance. In 1980, a missing person had to be missing more than 24 hours before they could be reported. Children like Carrie could be reported much more quickly, but back then they didn't have databases that they do have now. No Amber Alerts, there were no social media accounts to track people's activities, no cell phones to track location, no cameras on every street corner or front doorstep. The Fullerton PD, who was the original responding agency, believed Carrie was a runaway, regardless of what her mom was saying or what evidence there was. This sealed Carrie's fate. First up, you will hear Keith Sharon, a reporter from the Orange County Register, who did a story on Carrie's case a year ago, almost to the date. He also has a podcast, which we will link in our episode page. Next is Monique, Carrie and Michelle's childhood friend. Then Christy, who you will remember from episode four, followed by Orange County Sheriff's Department investigator Bob Taft. Then Michelle's final thoughts for our listeners. I will be back at the end to read you some of what Crystal, Carrie's mom, sent us. The rest will be posted in its entirety on our website. Fair warning, the sound fluctuates. Due to COVID, we recorded everything over the phone, and everyone has a different connection, so it may go up and down here and there. Um, You wrote an article just, I think it's almost exactly a year ago, on Carrie Patterson. How did that happen? I was looking today in preparation for appearing on this podcast at my notes, And I think it was November of last year that I saw a message or I saw a Facebook post in a Cerritos High School alumni group, and it just so happens that I went to Cerritos High School in 1980. I graduated. I was a senior when Carrie Patterson was a freshman, so I didn't know her, but this case seem to be calling out to me. I've written about cold case homicides, and I do a true crime podcast, and so naturally, I sent Michelle, uh, her sister, a note and said, I would like to write about this case, and I think I worked on the story for about a month before it was published. Who all did you get to talk to that were involved in the case? I talked to um, Bob Taft, and Uh, and Michelle, obviously, I made attempts to talk to many people, including uh, one of the suspects, David Campbell. I wrote him a letter in prison, was not returned. I I tried to talk to the three boys who were with her on the last day that she was alive. I got as far as one of their wives' offices, and no one ever returned my call. So that wasn't, that wasn't fruitful. I talked to Carrie's mother, and then I talked to the family of one of Campbell's victims. Oh, you um, did? Which one? Yeah, I, did, I, I talked to the Raber family, but it didn't go well. They did, you know, after 40 years, they are not – happy about talking about the case and and um so i think i had a very quick conversation and and a hang up um but um 
one one problem was that I was calling them on Christmas Eve. Oh. And that was the issue that really did not sit well with the family, and so I lost my opportunity. I was just um, – I was really trying hard to get information about this case, and I thought there might have been a little momentum if if Campbell would have talked to me. I thought I could – ask him questions uh, that that may have shed light, his answers may have shed light on the case. And, and so I wanted to do my research on Raber um, before I went to see Campbell, but then neither one of those threads materialized. What do you really think about Campbell? Do you think that he, the, the sheriff's department believes that he was just trying to get attention, that he didn't really actually know anything about Carrie other than what was in the news. Do you think that there's some validity to the Campbell Raver thing? Well, um, now, it's not my job to speculate on who's guilty and who's not. I'm just a reporter of the facts. However, I will say that it is, it would be a hell of a coincidence that a serial killer who commits murder and then dismembers the body. That's a specific way of disposing of a body. And then takes said dismembered body and dumps the parts out on the side of the road from his car. Very specific way. And I believe in two or three of Campbell's cases, that's what he did. What a coincidence that a girl would go missing in Campbell's neighborhood who was last seen talking about going to a stable where Campbell may or may not have had a connection. She ends up missing, murdered, dismembered, and Campbell isn't a suspect in that case. It just stretches logic to me that Campbell wouldn't be at the top of the list. Except that wasn't weren't most of his his victims men, or do they not even know the like how far well, wide reaching he was? Uh, who who knows how you know if he if he did other crimes? I mean, if you commit three murders, um, if you're picking up you know hitchhiker guys, if you're targeting people. Sure, you can have a pattern, but I mean, so what you're telling me is so what the what they're operating under is the theory that there were two dismembering serial killers operating at the same in the time Fullerton area at the same time, hanging around the same couple of mile radius when Carrie Patterson disappeared. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Yeah. Hard to hard to believe. So gosh, you know, Campbell Campbell may be um uh, uncredible. Incredible. <laughs> Either incredible or uncredible. Right. Uh because he's he's a raving lunatic. But it's quite a coincidence that he was free and there and killing other people by the same method that she was being killed and they didn't look at him well they looked at him but they didn't um they didn't tie this to him and doing i mean i guess i have to ask bob Taft. now you're making me want to ask other questions if carrie was technically they don't and i hate this feels so yucky to talk about but um whether she was really dismembered or not i mean i know that they found partial remains but they don't know how All right. it became that way, right? So the way I started my story, I have it in front of me. The lead of my story from December 15th, 2019. Wow, so we really that, are almost exactly a year. That's crazy. Yes. Um, my, the lead of my story was the skull rolled, rolled down an embankment, leaving a trail in the dirt. So in my mind, that suggests tossed from a car. Maybe. They've got a they've got a um, pattern 
on the ground in the mud of a skull rolling and then coming to rest in an oil field off of the 57 freeway suggests being tossed from a car. And then when I read the details of Campbell's other crimes where he would drive around with bodies in his car and then toss body parts out, I thought, well, that explains how a skull, that would be an explanation of how a skull could roll down a hill. Then uh, I've got another note here that as investigators looked at the trail that the skull left of rolling down the hill, at the, top of the other, at the top of the trail, the other end of the trail, they found a tibia, femur, and humerus, two leg bones and part of an arm at the top of that embankment. So sounds to me like maybe a car dumped body parts out of one window and threw a skull out of another. I, I don't know. But, man, there seems like dismembering going on. Did you have you been to the site? No, I didn't. I didn't go to Tonner Canyon. I went with Bob Taft and walked from. Uh, I walked around Carrie's neighborhood, the last places she was seen. We went to the ice cream shop, which isn't an ice cream shop anymore, um, and uh, walked up and down her street, up and down the route, the, the bike uh, where she rode on the handlebars. So, so I did extensive research. And uh, the trail just goes completely cold. Yeah. Did you ever find any other girls who went missing, like the same kind of MO as Carrie from the same well, area? Or yeah, yes, and, and that it's it's quite sad that um, it seemed to be. Uh, I don't. I don't even know. Popular is not the right word, but it seemed to be a more common experience for young girls in the late 70s and early 80s to meet horrible ends. Um, Yeah, there were several cases around. Here's the thing about those other cases, though. They were all accounted for. So the police made arrests in all those other cases. I, I think you may have found an unsolved, but... Well, it's not technically unsolved. I think they had a suspect, but they couldn't completely put it on him. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, they're pretty sure they knew who it was. Um, But that's the only one I found that I – Bob is getting the file for that one to kind of go back and see if maybe there's some other kind of connection. It's just – to me, it's too close. She She went missing in 1979. She was about the same age as Carrie. And she went to Cerritos High School, which I that that I find weird is within a right. year two girls went missing from the same high school. And I went to that high school in 1979 and 80. And boy, what kind of media did we have at the time where students at the school wouldn't know? I was on the newspaper staff in the school where it happened and didn't know that anything like that was going on. Yeah, I wonder. In- that's incredible. See, that's another that's another thing. Now, had that happened, you think there might have been a podcast or two about the missing girls from Cerritos High? Oh, for sure. Right. And for whatever reason, I think, you know, in the Carrie Patterson case, the whole reason that, that we're still talking about this, probably, is because she was labeled a runaway. And they had a different attitude about, oh, teenage girls, They'll just up and leave on you, you know, Um, and they'll hitchhike. They'll go off and run away with boys or whatever. I I don't I don't know how they arrived at that opinion, but it certainly changed the heat on their investigation. And I just don't think they would do that today. So anyway, back to your original question. There were several um, missing, murdered teenage girls at the time, but all of them had convicted killers attached. But Carrie's is still... But but Carrie did not. I feel really bad for her sister who, you know, didn't have the best day with her. She was mad at Carrie for for leaving um, and not 
you know, hanging out with her and watching her like she was supposed to do. Um, and, and Michelle is a terrific person who has worried about this case, worried about what it's done to her mother, worried about her sister's legacy, legacy for 40 years. And, um, it's, it's just heartbreaking that, um, she hasn't got justice. And, or an answer. And yeah, yeah, an answer at all. And, and, and she really, you could just tell from meeting her and talking with her as many times as I did, um, and still do, by the way, uh, she, in her soul, wants to solve this case. Right. Um, and, and the other thing is, so does Bob Taft. I think he's a dogged cold case investigator who, you know, he knows what he's doing. He, he, uh, he's put in the effort. It's not like, you know, the, the Fullerton police labeling this a runaway and the case sitting on a shelf. Taft has worked it. And, no, for sure. And, and it's, uh, it hasn't gone anywhere. No, and he's one of those rare, rare breeds that if but, you bring up a theory, he wants to hear it. Like he doesn't the other just thing, shut everything down, you know? The other thing that's, I think, really impressive with him is his relationship with the media. He's uh, always taken my phone calls. He was right. ready to roll out and walk me through the neighborhood. He's participated with you. Um, a lot of times uh, police and sheriffs, investigators don't give that kind of access, but he knows and you know and I know that the only way anything, any break is going to happen in this case is if somebody from the public comes forward. Right. Right. And you, that was my other question. Did you get any, any feedback when your article came out? I did. Um, you know, uh, I believe Bob tracked down a couple of pe- people who contacted me. Um, they recognized the strange van in the neighborhood or, or there was a guy on their block who, you know, had a shady past, but they all didn't pan out. He, he made contact with a mother and daughter from years ago who are now significantly older and um, tried to get a composite sketch drawn. And I, I, and I remember that he told me, and I told him when, when you get a new composite in this case, we'll do another story. And I don't think, if, if memory serves, it, that, that didn't come off or he didn't, that didn't go anywhere. Right. Well, maybe we can find those people again. Yeah, well, well uh, Taft will know. Right. Thank you for taking the time. What is, what's the name of your podcast since I have you on? My podcast is called Crime Beat. It's the one on uh, on your streaming device that has the police lights. There's another Crime Beat, which is based on cases in Canada. That's really good, by the way. Um, but it just so happens that we're both named the same thing. So I'm Crime Beat, uh, produced by the Southern California News Group. And I have two seasons. One's a bank heist and one's a more traditional a uh, true crime murder story, um, and and yeah, I I am a true crime podcast nut, and and I like to produce them, and I like to investigate, and this the one you've done here is a good one. Thank you, thank you. I hope I I know that we're not going to get answers in a day, and I know we're probably not going to get any leads in a week, but I'm hoping that over you know a certain over time, something will come forward. We know someone saw something. Someone saw right. something. Someone suspected something. Someone's brother, boyfriend, friend, husband acted weird where you questioned something, and we just need to find them. That's Crystal and Michelle deserve some kind of closure, some kind of answers. That's true. Yeah, hopefully I, I we find luck. that. I hope you solve thank it. Thank you. I thank you, and good luck on your move. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, Monique. 
Hi, how are you? You were best friends with Carrie and Michelle, you and your sister? Yes. What is your sister's name again? Antonia. Antonia. So tell me you, how you guys met, like, where you lived. Well, we lived on a street called Sutton Street in Cerritos, and we, I'm not sure about the year or anything like that, but we had already were living there, and then uh, Carrie and we called Michelle Missy back then. She didn't start being called Michelle until I'm sure she was out of high school or college or something, but Carrie and Missy moved in after the fact. We had already been there, and we were excited because there was just so many boys. I had a, we had an older brother, so all the friends that he had were, of course, boys, and we were always, you know, glad if there was a younger sister or even a, just someone that would be our age that we could also play, because in my household, was when one went, we all went. So wherever my brother went, we were going to have to go together. So when they moved in, we were excited because it's like, oh, my God, we finally have friends our own age, you know, and you have your own friend and I can have my own friend. So that was that was cool for us. And we just ended up being constantly either over there or them constantly over at my house. And, you know, we both had swimming pools in our backyard, so we used to swim all summer long. I mean, we really had uh, just a good, you know, a good childhood, just very middle class. I, the one thing I wanted to ask you is that, the Fullerton police believe that Carrie had a boyfriend in her Cerritos neighborhood, even though they had moved to Fullerton. Mm-hmm. But what do you know about that? Well, everyone keeps putting a label of boyfriend. I'm not sure how much the Fullerton police department could even say of that, because I don't feel, in my opinion, they put much forth of an effort. How would they even know about the boyfriend in Cerritos when they never even set foot in Cerritos? No one ever knocked on my door and said, hey, we want to talk to her. She's Terry's best friend. Nobody. So, and I know that none of those police officers came and knocked on any of the other neighbors because I had a neighbor on each side of me, and we were the gathering spot. So if a police officer were to talk to any one of them, we all would have known. The um, Bulletin Police File has information that they spoke to the boyfriend in the Cerritos. Do you even know who they were referring to? I do not, and everyone keeps putting Joey, which was my neighbor, um, that label on him, which I know that we were all friends. He, I don't know if they were a boyfriend and a girlfriend type of deal, um, and I don't even recall that. You know, now that you say that, it's going to want to make me get a hold of them and find out because, again, we were all very close. I can still contact them, like, now and find out what happened, so... That makes me want to see, you know, is that what happened? Maybe I have forgotten over the years, but I know no one came to talk to us. Yesterday, though, you said that you thought they had a thing, like maybe Joey and Carrie had a thing. They could have liked each other, yeah. Yeah, they could have been like that, but not like, we didn't go on dates in cars or anything. And these boys that were just getting cars, these were like boys that were like just turning 16, 17, 18. So these were all like their first cars and stuff. So... It, it just so happened that we were all, they turned that age while we were all still living there. So they were getting cars, and, you know, we had to ask permission to go ride in the car because they were really my brother's friends. They were, you know, older than us. But as long as we were with my brother, we got to hang out. You know what I mean? And it was yeah. kind of like her, Crystal would be like, well, you know, Monique and Tone's going to be there. And it was like, yeah. And of course we were because we all were there. We were, we lived in the middle of both sides of these gathering spot so and i don't ever remember joey saying oh that's my girlfriend but they were all you guys were all around the same age the boys were older though the boys were a little bit older but like i said carrie was older than me so she was already two years older than me so then the boys were probably like maybe a year or two years older than her and then these are all boys who have been friends, like, all through grade school, too. So there was a few boys that had already graduated. When was the last time you spoke to Carrie before she disappeared? Oh, God, I could just remember crying and crying that she moved. We were devastated because they were just, like, our best friends. And we finally had some place that we could go. And Crystal and Paul were so good to us. They treated us just like their own. We might have talked, like, on the phone one time after they, like, physically were already in Fullerton and, you know, I was still in Cerritos. Because, like I said, it wasn't any more than a week, and then she was missing. And do you know anything about Carrie being bullied at school? 
I know a lot of the girls really didn't uh, care for her. She had, a, you know, a kind of a tight group of friends. But then a lot of them were just like haters is what we would call them now. Back then, I guess it could have been like bullying or, you know, just talking. You know, kids are horrible. But she was like a magnet. People were drawn to her. You know, she was she was pretty. She was, you know, one of the cuter people there in the whole city, in the whole school. So, you know, and then she was the new girl on the block. So a lot of things made her stand out. So I think a lot of people were jealous. A lot of girls and stuff were jealous. Um, especially girls around her same age, around her same, um, I don't know how you want to put it, group. You know what I mean? So she was bullied not because of any other reason other than they were jealous of her. I That's the only reason I could say. And back then, you know, I mean, I couldn't put a label on anything. She was dealt or she was bullied because of certain things. I, I just sheer jealousy, you know what I mean? I remember when dittos came into style, everyone wanted dittos. Carrie came to school with seven pairs of dittos. Every color, every style, everything. She had one for each each day of the week. You know what I mean? Nobody had that. Literally, nobody. There might have been one other girl that I remember whose parents were very well off, and that was uh, Robin Lawrence. And she was actually one of the people on my list of people trying to get a hold of regarding this whole situation. I I remember her. She had a horse. And (laughs) so it was like her and Carrie... They were getting, they had things, you know what I mean, that the rest of us kids didn't have and weren't ever going to have, you know what I mean? So I think people were jealous of that. And I remember people being jealous of Robin, too, you know what I mean? So, And it's foolish, and you were saying earlier that the police never came and spoke to you, your family. Nope. No. But you hadn't seen her. She hadn't been in the neighborhood for that week or whatever she had no, only. She, yeah, and I haven't even been seven days, I don't think. I mean, I would have to really check with, with Crystal, like, exact days. But I don't recall them even being, like, fully moved in. Like, you know what I mean? It was, like, still very much in the transition of it all. You know what I mean? How did you guys find out she was missing, and, and how was uh, she looked for? Well, did you guys do anything? Did your well, I just remember anything? Crystal, like... Uh, calling and said, hey, have you seen Carrie? I was like, no, no, you know, she's got you. You guys are gone. She goes, yeah, but we can't, she's not here. You know, she went to go to the ice cream shop and meet Danny, and then she left Michelle at the house, and then she came back. She was supposed to come right back, and she didn't, and she knew she was supposed to be there because, you know, the delivery people were coming, and, and it was like, okay, and this had already been hours, you know, gone by. She should have been home, but now her parents are home from work. So this is now into the evening, and this all happened in, during the day, the afternoon. So I remember that, and I just remember she saying, okay, if you could call a few friends and find out, I'm going to keep calling. If you have any numbers, let me know. So I could call, you know, the people that I knew and then kind of word of mouth, and I remember, you know, telling my mom, my mom was like, oh, wow, you know, like shocked, like, well, what's going on? And I just remember going and, you know, to the two neighbors directly next to me and us talking, and, and then I just – we were not like really worrying too much about it since I was young. You know, I mean, it was probably in the very, you know, so fresh. But then, you know, as a kid, you get distracted or start doing whatever. And I don't remember it like really weighing on me until like the next day, my mom saying they still haven't found Carrie. Crystal came back to the neighborhood to absolutely. Her, she came that night. That night, she couldn't find her there. She said, "Well, I'm coming, <laughs> coming down anyway." So she came down and, you know, of course she looked every place that we think we could. You know, we had a, a kind of a large park, Cerritos uh, Park East, was actually across a busy street into another neighborhood. That was one of the places that we, you know, were able to hang out. And it was actually like on the way home from, like what if you were to walk that certain way home from school. And we could cut through that park, you know, to get on the way home. So when we look everywhere, you know, there was a ice cream parlor that we used to hang out in Cerritos called Swinson's, and that was just a little, I mean, it was a walk, but not nothing terrible that kids couldn't do. Were there flyers and things hanging around your neighborhood? Do you remember that? They were everywhere, everywhere in Cerritos, everywhere. All the little uh, strip malls, all the stores, um, all over the neighborhoods, all over the parks, all over the schools, elementary school, junior high, high school, 
um, everywhere. Yeah, they were everywhere. And that was all crystals. Crystals, you mean? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But this went on for six months, her searching for... All, all through summer. All through summer. And we just kept hoping, well, she'll be back. You know, she'll come back. She's supposed to be her 16th birthday. She knows she's getting these wonderful gifts. There'd be no reason why she would leave that. And her mom just knew. And I remember, I think, and uh, so this happened in June. So I was maybe middle of summer. Not that Crystal lost hope, but I just remember her outlook on the whole thing was just way different. I think at that moment in that time, she must have known that this is not going to end well. If nothing has happened now, this is not going to happen well. And then everything, all those girls were getting kidnapped around that same time. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was like a lot going on. We all could only think of, she's one of the girls who got kidnapped. She's part of that. You had to you know? say that you didn't believe there was any way she would have ran away like the police originally thought she had. Never. They went that basis because she was a kid, because she was of a certain age, and maybe through their personal experiences of people that age, kids that age, that's what they do. She knows that she's going to be 16 in uh, two months. She's getting a brand new car. She's already picked it out. She wants custom things. You know what I mean? There's no reason for this. There was no falling out. There was nothing. She would have not have run away from her lifestyle. No. No. I want to end this with the fact that you being one of her good friends, and your are your parents still around? My, parent, my father is deceased, and my mother still lives in the same house. Oh, she does. Absolutely, yes. Have you ever talked to her since then about Carrie disappearing and then... Oh, my God, yes. We've never stopped talking about Carrie. I remember after, right after that, um, my parents were devastated. They were so in, you know, they were finally letting us break loose out of the net and meet other people besides family. And then this happened. My dad pulled that ring in so tight. We couldn't do, like, anything, and we really could not do anything alone. My poor brother became, like, our uh, keepers. Like, he had to go to each school and pick us both up and make sure we both walked. And we had to do everything, he said. We had to come home to the house and lock the door. We weren't allowed to answer the phone, open the door, and we weren't going anywhere. There was none of that. We used to get left in the car at the grocery store. None of that. No one was getting left anywhere. So your world changed because of what happened to Carrie. Absolutely. Absolutely. My dad wanted to move. Yesterday you had said that your dad never recovered from Carrie. No. He was so worried about us all the time. All the time. And, you know, he went to his grave with that one. Thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, putting the time and putting it out there. And I'm glad that, you know, that, that no one, we haven't forgotten about Carrie. Hey, Christy. Hey, Kathy. How are you? Good. So we are wrapping up this series on Carrie Patterson, and I wanted to kind of go over with you what you thought, like, the main things that you got that you feel like Carrie wanted us to know. I think we should start with the things that happened probably around the time that she was last seen by, um, you know, the, the boys that she was with, the... The trees, the eucalyptus trees, and her shoes, and the stop sign. I think those are things that are contemporary to the moment that whatever happened to her, those were around her at the time. And I think in her mind, you know, whatever state of mind or frame of mind that she's in, those were um, clues to us. And for one thing that I was connecting with her, because those were all things that, of course, I wasn't aware of. Um, I just picked those up. And I think those are just indications to us that that's what was happening to her or that she was aware of at the time she got into the car or that she was pulled into the car, whatever happened to her. I I think I have a question. I mean, I don't know if it's going to make sense, but are these things that you get, and I don't know if you would even be able to answer this, actually, are these things just to verify that you're connecting with her or are they clues or hints to what happened to her? Do you, do you even know the answer to that? I don't know. It could be both. When I connect with somebody, there's always going to be information that helps us 
confirm that it's the person, that, who it is. So, um, I mean, we definitely got information that confirms who I was connected to. So that's one really, probably one of the biggest factors of mediumship is confirming the person. Um, if I'm doing a reading with a client, I'm going to get other messages that, you know, comfort messages or healing or things about grief and things like that. But in a case like this, we're just we're definitely confirming who we're talking to or who we're dealing with. It's hard to know because we there's so little information about the crime. It's hard to know if those are important factors or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. And speaking of, like, comfort, the two biggest things, in, in my opinion, and I don't know my opinion matters, was that you had said that um, Michelle needed to let go of the guilt. Yes. Do you want to expand on that at all? Yeah, I think that that's, um, that's Carrie's way of telling her sister, it wasn't your fault, and, and don't think it was your fault. Um, nothing, nothing would have changed it, and at this point, it doesn't matter. And I think Carrie has a sense of the impact this has had on her sister's life and the impact it's having on her now. And I think, I mean, in talking to Michelle, there's clearly a sense of guilt about the fact that she didn't intervene more. And, you know, like we talked about, she was 12, and this was her big sister who was headstrong and was like, I'm going to go do this. And I think, I mean, I think any normal person would go through the emotions that Michelle felt, but her sister, but Carrie wants her to know, was it your fault? Somebody and else made, somebody else made a choice to do this to Carrie and it, it didn't have anything to do with Michelle. And her mom? The same thing. And, and it's a little bit different in her mom's um, case. It, it's more about forgive yourself. And there's, there's a difference. Carrie's, I got the sense that Carrie's mom, uh, Crystal, is really, um, there's like this tape loop in her head almost, like I could have done more, or what did I do different, what could I have done differently, and Carrie's message to her is forgive yourself, don't, you know, don't, don't keep going back to that coulda, woulda, shoulda, because um, the sense that I got is that it's impacting her physical health at this point in her life, and um, it's specifically her heart, and, you know, we don't, it's it's easy to say, but I think that when we do mediumship, those messages come through because the person on the other side wants their family members to know you don't need to worry about that anymore. You know, it's okay now. It, it doesn't matter now. And it sounds really trite when you're talking to a mother who's lost a child in, in this way, but that's the message. And um, I think that the, the the hope for somebody on the other side is that their family will be okay, you know, despite what's happened. I guess my last question, and because it weighs on me every time I talk to you about this case or even other cases, is the fact that you're able to connect with her and get all these feelings and all these messages, does that mean that she's not at rest? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I think she's um, I think she's still struggling maybe with the trauma of what happened, but there's a lot of different kinds of interactions with people on the other side that, that we can have. And, and sometimes people are 100% at rest and they're just checking in. And, you know, if you go to a paranormal investigation and there's a spirit there who's completely not at rest, it can cause other issues. So I think in this case, we're dealing with somebody who's just, She's communicating from the other side. She's validating from her family that she's around, for her family that she's around. And I also, and I thought about this a lot today, I think Carrie's trying to help us solve this. I really do. I think she's trying to push this information forward to help give us information so we can figure this out. And she told us clearly um, when we talked about this earlier at one point that if we can solve her case, we might be able to solve others. And I think that's, I think that's where the synergy and the energy is all working together. So that's like a key is that maybe it, it wasn't just her. Yeah. I think there's something to that. I really do. So I hope that that's, um, that that's the true and that that was correct information. And I, the connection that I have with her, I, I just feel like she's really, she wants this solved for her family's sake and for other people's sake, you know, maybe other victims that were involved that we can give you have, other families answers. Do you have any final thoughts? Like, well, it's not final because you and I will keep going and keep talking and you'll still be talking to Michelle 
as we yeah. go through this because, I mean, nothing's been resolved or anything, but do you have any final thoughts on the whole situation of, like, what we've done, just that we're on the right path and we're where we're supposed to be? No, I, I think I just have to agree with what you said. I don't have any, you know, uh, words of wisdom or amazing final thoughts, just that I think we're, we just have to follow each thread. It's almost like a, like a, uh, unraveling a piece of yarn or or a, a you know a piece of fabric that's fraying we just have to keep following the threads and I think um, I mean you and I worked on a missing persons case and we found the person quickly and I think that we what we did with that was we followed the threads and I think that that's that's how we need to do this too is just keep following the threads and keep um, whatever we when we find something thoroughly look at it as much as we can and if it pans out it does and if it doesn't then leave it aside and go on and find something else but I think that we just you know I hope for Crystal and for Michelle's sake that we can solve this and 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 put this to rest and and perhaps shed some light on other cold cases as well in the process thank you for your help oh you're so welcome it's thanks um, for always answering the phone every time I call you It feels like a lot right now. Yeah, it is. Well, thank you for your efforts in in trying to get these cases solved because I know what I know what it means to you. It means a lot to you and how hard you work. So keep up the good work. You feel like we're in the right place at the right time. Absolutely, every time. Okay. Yep, we're a good team. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Hi, Bob. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. So we are at the end of the series on Carrie, but clearly we're not over it. Like we're not going to be done talking about yes. this. But I wanted to check in with you and see if you had any thoughts. I know that we're still waiting on the file on the other little girl that went missing during that time. Correct. Vicki Kaslick, is it? Right. Yeah. And so that might be a couple weeks before you even see that, right? Uh, it all, when I talked to the L.A. detective, it sounded like he was going to talk to their administrative staff, make a copy, and send it right away. So uh, it sounds like, at least I'm anticipating, getting it next week sometime. Is there any information about that that you can give us now? I mean, other than we're, we decided to kind of just look at it because, and I don't know if I mentioned it in the other episode, is that Vicki Caswick was about the same age as Carrie, she went missing 13 months before Carrie. Yes. And they both went to the same high school. Yes. But beyond that, it wasn't the same area. Carrie was Fullerton and Vicki Caswick was Cerritos, right? Right. But there still is that tie to Cerritos. And, again, I'm not saying that Carrie was a runaway, but had there been that possibility and Carrie was back in Cerritos, then that makes it a, a, a possible link. Uh, the other thing, too, is, uh, unfortunately, I don't really know any of the circumstances behind Vicky's case or how they identified the suspect and uh, what led to them identifying that individual. I won't know any of that until I receive the file. But it does seem like it's a very interesting lead at this point. And it's similar in the fact that they both went to the same high school, so they may have known the same people or the same so all those things is what we're going to look at, right? Correct. And I'm not sure. I I think Carrie, was she getting ready to start the ninth grade or the 10th grade? Carrie was going into her sophomore year. Okay. So she would have been a freshman at Cerritos High School. And, yes, and Vicky was a freshman at Cerritos High School when she went missing. Right. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely that link as well. So. And I reached out to, I found her sister. Um, yeah, unbeknownst to me, it was her sister. All I knew is that it was her family tree, and yeah. everybody was private. So when I wrote to her and asked her if I could talk to her about Vicky, she wrote back and told me she was her sister. Got so um, I don't know. I'm kind of hoping that maybe I can connect. Even if the cases don't connect, I'm kind of hoping I can connect Michelle and her together just because yeah. they're both sisters who went through the same thing. Absolutely, yes. And I think it would be good and therapeutic for each of them individually. So I'm hoping to talk to her. Do you have final thoughts as far as solving this case? What is it going to come down to, do you think? It's definitely going to come down to somebody saying something or somebody 
remembering something after all these years that will give us um, a definitive investigative lead to, to pursue. Um, I know I mentioned earlier that I had talked to the FBI about doing a uh, behavioral analysis profile of a possible suspect. Unfortunately, I didn't get anything back from the FBI on that one. And I understand that probably a lot of individuals ask for that assistance. Uh, so, Particularly on a 40-year-old case. <laughs> Correct. Well, not necessarily on a 40-year-old case. Unfortunately, it's been my experience that with a lot of these cold cases, they kind of fall to the bottom of the priority ladder because they are cold. And obviously, uh, a lot of resources are devoted to more recent or current cases because they have a, a stronger possibility of getting solved in the moment than trying to recreate events from 40 years ago. So I totally understand that. But uh, my thought is that somebody will have to come forward and say something. And, and again, even if it's not, they don't think it's relevant to Carrie's incident, they don't know what they don't know. So it may fit a puzzle piece somewhere that will lead to another puzzle piece that will lead to another piece that hopefully will solve this case. So our biggest takeaway from here is if you know something, suspected something, thought something, even after it happened, like someone was acting weird or doing strange things or someone saw someone in Tonner Canyon and never made a phone call or someone saw someone on Parks and Pioneer and never called anyone or all those things, like all these little tiny things that they don't think were significant may be significant to you. Absolutely, yes. And and that first bit of information is kind of the outer layer of peeling the onion. You know, once you try and investigate that, it may lead to another layer of the onion to peel back and so on and so forth until you finally get to the piece that's going to solve this case. So please call. That's that's our Absolutely, answer. yes. Any more final thoughts on Carrie's case? I, I empathize with the family. I, I do what I do for the victims. It's not for any notoriety or recognition or, or anything like that. I do what I do as a voice for the victims. So it's it's very tough for me that when you get to not necessarily say the dead end of the case, but unfortunately with some of the cases, there's just no further investigative leads and, and you have to close that book and put it back on the shelf and pull another one to start work. Uh, so that is very difficult for me to do. I, I hate closing the book on a case uh, until something further develops. So I... I hope and I pray that that doesn't happen with this case. And that leads me to a question. Is it hard for you? I mean, like me reaching out to you about another case and you're like, well, let's do this one first. Do, is that hard for you? Because you had maybe set it aside a month ago or a year ago when Keith Sharon did his story. Is it hard for you to, to come back to it and then have to put it aside again? Is that? No. I, I To me, I'm always constantly reviewing cases. I probably have about 20 cases that I'm looking at. And not to say that I'm constantly reviewing all 20 cases, but I have 20 case files on my desk. And, you know, I'll work one for a while until I get to a, a stopping point where I don't have anything more to pursue. But I won't put it away because uh, there's always there's always more to do, if that makes sense. But I'll pick up another case, and I'll work on that one, and then I'll pick up another case and work on that one. So I'm always, I'm always rotating through the, the cases that I'm currently working. I think since I've been doing this since 2016, there's only been one case uh, that I recall that I actually had to put back on the shelf. So our takeaway on, on the Kerry Patterson case is that we're at a stopping point, but we're not putting it away. Uh, well, I, I wouldn't say at this point that we're at a stopping point because I, I think the, the case from L.A. is a very interesting and potentially good investigative lead. So uh, I have no intention of stopping on that case at, this, at the moment. So we're just on a little tiny pause. And, and like I said, there's, there's, there's more cases to be, to be worked. I think that getting this case out to the public is an inroad to continuing to do this with hopefully other series of cases that have gone cold over the years that, that the public's hoping or willing to assist on. Well, thank you for doing this with me. Absolutely. No, thank you. But, um, yes, uh, like I said, this this 
case for the Sheriff's Department was the first inroads of actually doing an interactive, I guess, podcast with the public to get the case information out there. And hopefully this will lead to us or our agency participating in, in other cases in the future. Before we end our little conversation right now, have you got any leads or, call, or calls or emails or anything about Carrie's case since it started? I did. I got a call from a young lady who had said that she had known Carrie uh, back in the neighborhood in Cerritos and provided me a lot of information. And then, unfortunately, with her talking with other friends from back in that day, realized that she had confused Carrie with another individual. So, unfortunately... Another individual that went missing or just another no, individual? No, just another individual from the neighborhood. Oh, crazy. Uh, that they had all been friends in a certain group, and unfortunately, this lady thought that what she was recalling was information regarding Carrie, and it turned out it was information regarding someone else. So, unfortunately, oh, wow. that didn't pan out. But, again, you, you don't know that information until you start start digging into it. So, again... You know, the biggest thing is people are coming forward and saying something, which is which is better than we were before this whole podcast happened. Right. So, so it's simply beneficial. That's what we want. We want people yes. to call. Absolutely, yes. We want people to call. And I'm still going to text you tomorrow. <laughs> yes, by all And means. maybe even tonight. Who knows? We don't know yes. what's going to happen. I might That's still be true. texting you, you in know. 15 minutes. It's true. You never know. Uh, you know, somebody will listen to the to the next episode, and it may spark a memory or, or recall an incident that they forgot about 40 years ago, and that will lead to uh, additional information. Thank you for no. all your help. Oh, absolutely. No, thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Have a good one. You too. Bye. All right. Bye. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. So we're at the end of the series on Carrie. I mean, we're certainly not at the end of um, talking to people or responding to emails or phone calls that I may get or Bob may get. So this is going to go on for a while, and hopefully we'll get some kind of new information. But how do you feel after all this? Well, lots of emotions. depends on the day. But it's all been an extremely positive experience for sure it's humbling it's it's exciting it's sad it's all of those emotions at the same time i think it's great that this case is finally getting the attention that it deserves and all the information is coming out and even after all these years i'm even learning more facts that i didn't know and i'm actually still waiting for the fullerton police department uh police report and the Orange County Sheriff's Department police report, which I formally requested now. And hopefully I'll get that. And who knows what may come to light once I read those. But all in all, I think this has been a great experience. And I've never even had any experience with a podcast before. And I think this is just super positive. And if anything, if it doesn't solve my sister's case, it's certainly a great avenue to go if you're in need of this kind of investigative help. I really do, appreciate it. Uh, do you, um, there's so many times when I was talking to you, I think back to our first conversation after you and I had not seen each other for probably like 12 years, how much you didn't remember. Do you remember more now Is that you've done this? Is it, is it cathartic? At all, or has it been just overwhelming? I know for your mom it's been kind of overwhelming. It depends on the day, but I definitely have more vivid understandings, and I do remember things. It was it was great to go actually back to Fullerton and to I was standing in front of my house, and then walking up that street that brought back a lot of memories, and I don't know exactly what came back that I didn't remember. But I do, I do recall some things from when we lived in Cerritos that I didn't remember before, and that was actually from talking to Monique and uh, reading some of the police uh, writings, reports, or whatever. Um, so, yes, some things did come back. Nothing really from that day that she disappeared or 
anything after, but I remembered some things beforehand in our old neighborhood, et cetera. The other thing I wanted to ask you, I ended up, you know, I brought up that other case of Vicki Kaswick, the girl who, she went to Cerritos High School and went missing and um, was, her remains were found 13 months before Carrie disappeared. Mm-hmm. I reached out, I ended up talking to her, her sisters last night for over two hours. And I was wondering, um, I really kind of want to connect you guys together even if it's determined that the cases have nothing to do with each other. I I feel like, and one of the sisters said this last night, and I was kind of thinking it right when she said it, that you all combined belong to a club that nobody wants to belong to. And I feel like maybe you guys all talking might help you guys a little bit. Mm-hmm. So many of the things were the same about um, the police treated her as runaway. And um, they can't remember certain things because they were... One of the sisters, I think, is your exact age, and they couldn't – it just it, – talking to them was like talking to you again because they have so many of the same questions, and I'm kind of hoping that I – even if it's just for one conversation, I kind of want to connect you all together because – That would be great. We, I feel like we've all been put here for a reason. I hope the reasons are to get more leads and to get more information on the case, but – Maybe there's another reason we're not looking at that we've all been brought together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You guys, I'd be happy to talk to anyone. I've never really been involved in any of those support groups or anything like that. I didn't know if I was really going to be into that because I didn't want this to be a mission of sadness for my life. It was something that I wasn't involved in years ago because I was so young and I didn't really know about much. And then I became more and more curious over the years. And then when I started doing some digging, I became completely appalled at the lack of investigation. And that's where my anger, I guess I guess that's the word, anger or, or insistence became more, um, more my focus because I was – literally appalled by the lack of investigation. I really did think that, you know, there was this entity out there that looked at cold cases on a daily basis, and maybe that was naive. Obviously it was, but that's what I thought. And it it turned out not to be the case, so I thought, well, I have to try to do something. And and then I kind of got into it, and then I would kind of push it back into my memory again, and then try to bring it out again, and it was really hard for me, and it still is really hard for me, but since we've been doing this podcast, and it's every week, and and I have to stay focused on it, and it's been it's been a really cool thing, so um, I will do whatever whatever I need to to, um, you know, keep this going so long as it doesn't make me sad all the time and frustrated, which I hope that doesn't happen. You don't feel frustrated right now? I don't feel I don't feel any more frustration today than I have in the past five years. Um, I actually feel that we've made some progress, and I don't know what that means by progress. I don't know if that's just me emotionally and mentally. I've made progress with myself trying to deal with this, and and I don't necessarily mean like progress in the case. Um, there's again there's there's no leads there's nothing and and just so the listeners out there realize the stuff that the information we're getting from the psychic and etc i mean that's not facts or anything like that it's literally just words and feelings that we are interpreting completely different and it's subjective i may interpret it some way and you may interpret it some way and i just don't want people to get confused especially about that whole Pregnancy theory, that literally is a theory that, right. or a subjective theory that, oh, that's a possibility. Yes, she was of that age, and, well, the psychic said she saw a baby, and we just pulled that out of thin air. That was never a fact or anything like that. Right. So I don't right. want to confuse anyone out there listening, but um, but it's that is fascinating to me, and that's something I definitely want to keep going with and none of that frustrates me i think it's fascinating and i would love to keep talking to christy and you and and i'm sad that keith sharon's leaving because even though he was a 
you know, reporter reporting on a story, and then I never heard from him again. But that's not what happened. He was very invested last year around this time and was making calls and 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 just going kind of above and beyond what he needed to do. And I really appreciate it. And I know he's moving out of state, um, so he was a lot of help and you know, running into Bob Taft and meeting the way we did. He's been a lot of help, and then he met you and then referred you to me, and then it turns out we knew each other, and... and It just all feels like we're, yeah, that we're all supposed to be here. It's definitely some big connection somehow, and I just hope we figure out what that is someday. Do you have anything that you want to say to anyone who might have information that they don't think is significant that they don't think is significant that they haven't called in and they haven't talked to bob and they haven't reported their information do you have anything to say to to those people that might hear this but not not feel like they have information that's important sure i just definitely don't discount anything it might not seem significant to you but it might be a puzzle piece that is missing and you're not going to be putting anyone out by calling or anything like that. And for those of you that do have knowledge or were part of this case in some way, um, I urge you to reach out to me. I'm very easy to find um, because I'm an attorney in the area. I would love to talk to you if you were one of the people that last were with my sister. And um, I just have a couple questions. And nobody is a suspect and these people never were and I just have some unanswered questions that I would just love to talk to somebody. I won't bite, I swear. Um, Try to put yourself in my shoes and I guess if anything has been frustrating, it's that the people who have some information, even though I know these people have already been talked to and interviewed, nobody's talked to me and I'm frustrated that they won't talk to me because I've asked. And just think about it if you were in my shoes and one simple phone call to me at my office could go a long way just towards my own healing and my own peace of mind. Um, so I, if I could appeal to anyone out there that was there that day or knows anything, feel free to call me at my office and I would just love to chat and I would appreciate it very much. I would think that anybody would appreciate that. For sure. Thank you. It was, it was nice to, I wish that we would have ran into each other again under different circumstances, but like I've said probably like seven times in this conversation, I feel like we're where we're supposed to be, and we found found each other again for a reason. So I, I hope those reasons, if they're not for solving the case, that they're, healing in some ways, you know, somehow. I agree. And I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for putting so much time and effort into this and um, introducing me to Christy and just just doing this. You definitely didn't have to, and you're doing nothing but helping me and others, and it's just really, appreci- I really appreciate it. So it's I so will let you know when I get those police reports, so maybe we can do a follow-up. Yeah, I totally want to do that. We will do we will do any follow up. There's some things that Bob's working on, and um, that we're gonna still get information from the public. So this by far isn't over. Um, we're ending the series as it is right now because we told her story, and that's what we started out to do. But as far as uh, this being over, it's not even close to being over. So we'll be in touch for sure. And. Honestly, your thank yous mean a lot, but to me, it's such an honor to do these stories, to have the families trust me and have your mom trust me and you trust me the way that you have is such an honor. Like, I don't even feel like I deserve thank yous. I feel like I should just be thanking you. Well, you do deserve thank yous. You you and your daughter, I appreciate it so much. No worries. Thank you so much, and then I'll talk to you soon. And I'm going to set up something with the sisters, too. I think that it would help you all, even if it's just a Zoom, for you guys to just commiserate on what you all went through, you know? Yeah, do they still live locally here? Yeah, they do. Weirdly, one of them lives right down the street from me. Wow, okay, great. I was shocked last night when she told me she had the same area code as I did, and I was like, where do you live? And she's literally within a couple miles of me. 
so weird. That's so weird. Again, we're all in the right place at the right time. So fingers crossed it's for a reason. I think if any anything, as a closing statement, these listeners should all be friggin' horrified by the amount of murders and kidnappings and things going on in that time period. Um, I mean, who would have thought? No. Just in, just in Fullerton, in Sunny Hills alone, in this brand new, beautiful, upscale neighborhood, there were four murders within a year of each other um, at the same time uh, that my sister disappeared. And then, you know, you're finding more, and you found two people from Street High School. It's just, it's mind-blowing. It's absolutely mind-blowing. So keep it safe. Keep your kids safe for sure. And don't assume that because you're in an up you're in an upscale neighborhood that you're safe because you're not. No, that's actually a really good point to make. But I mean, we're in a different day and age where there's Facebook and cell phones and everything. Mm -hmm. But don't take anything for granted. No, don't walk by yourself. Don't let your kids go out on their own when you're not at home and you don't know where they are. Trash the shit out of all of them. I agree, and that's what I do. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'll talk to you soon, Michelle. All right. Bye, Kat. Bye. Here is a portion of what Crystal Carey's mom sent us when I asked her for her final thoughts. You can read the entire thing on our episode webpage. The ups and downs, the hopes and dashed hopes, the tears and the what ifs, the hours I have spent on the phone with detectives, the text messages with countless people who are also trying to help. It all gets to be too much at times. There are times when I say I can't do this anymore. I justify that by saying that Carrie wouldn't want me to carry this burden for so long. She would want me to be at peace. So for a fleeting moment, I sigh and I say, that's it. I'm going to move on and not dwell on this anymore. And then something will happen. Someone will say something and the emotions will flood back. And of course, I have to keep searching, asking, praying that someone somewhere will read, hear or see something about her that sparks a thought in them about that day back in 1980 when my beautiful 15-year-old daughter walked down to get ice cream and never made it home. If you know anything regarding the disappearance of Carrie Patterson, please call Investigator Bob Taft at the Orange County Sheriff's Department at 714-647-7045 or call OC Crime Stoppers anonymously at 855-847-6227. Someone out there knows something. Are you that someone?